Well, this afternoon, I saw the younger son come out of Father Stephen. (laughs) Now, as I told you, he called me and he said, what do you expect to be remunerated for coming here? And I said, let me open the Bible. And I opened the Bible and it said, freely you have received, freely you shall give. So I said, Stephen, I can't take anything for my travel expenses. I can't take anything for whatever I do here. I said, that's, the, that's what God said. So I said, I'm listening to God. So this afternoon, the younger son drove me out for a beautiful luncheon supper. First thing he did is order alligator, ate some kind of alligator. He didn't tell me if I ate it, it would bite me back. (laughs) I wasn't used to alligator, but now I can say I had alligator. So anyway, we had a great, gracious, wonderful meal. When the check came, I picked it up, thinking, well, the younger son will struggle before, will arm wrestle before it, and I'll lose. I picked it up, and he said, thank you. You just got your share of the inheritance. And as soon as I get home, I'm changing the will. So it's such a joy to to be here and to have been here. It's just a great joy. And, you know, I have received confirmations of things that I promised you and told you. Let me remind you. When I came here on the weekend, at all the masses, I told you that God was going to let the levees come down and open up your hearts. And that you would be flooded with graces and mercy. This, every day, at 5 a.m. in the morning, Not that I'm always up at 5 a.m., but at 5 a.m. every morning, I receive from the Divine Mercy Center a little uh, message for reflection from the Divine Mercy Center in Stockbridge, Massachusetts. You can sign up for it for free. They'll mail it to you every day. Today at 5 a.m., when I did see the message, I I just shook my head at the way the Lord speaks to us. I had Stephen print out the email. This is the message. On that day, all the floodgates through which graces flow will be opened. Let no soul fear to draw near me, even though its sins be as scarlet. My mercy is so great that no mind, nor any angel or man, will be able to phantom it throughout all eternity. The first words, the divine floodgates will be open. And that was the promise I made to you over the weekend. The second confirmation I received from the Lord of something that I told you, I told you that the Lord was sending me here as his microphone. I said, he will be the speaker. He speaks through me. He works in me. That's how he operates with me. Three people, two of them, 
told someone else, one of them told me directly, that when they heard me speak, he said it was as if Jesus was talking to them directly. Each one said they heard what they needed to hear. And I'm sure many of you have already had that experience of God just prying open your hearts. Because you see, it's all about the heart. We need to have tender hearts. We need to have hearts that cry. We need to have hearts that feel pain. And this is something else that I neglected to tell you. And Father Stephen reminded me this morning. We talked about the importance of uniting whatever you've suffered in the past, whatever you're suffering now, of uniting your sufferings to Christ crucified. So that you'll hear Christ say, no longer two, but one in my sacrifice of love. So it's no longer you and Christ. When you unite your sufferings to Christ, you become one with Him. And the power of that cross is what comes out and returns to the world and redeems sinners. And you can direct it to people in your family, people in your circle of friends. So what did I forget to tell you about this suffering business? You see, evil comes from the evil one. God does not punish us. God does, does nothing but love us. See, that's all he knows. God is defined as love. So all the evil that comes into our lives, people hurting us, people dragging us in the gutter, people destroying us through addiction and through all kinds of horrible things that go on in our lives that cause the suffering in our lives because of others. God is not... God is standing there. For example, if a young child is growing up in a home and that child is unloved, God sees that child hungry for love. God did not want that child to be treated that way. God doesn't want people to be suffering in bad marriages. What causes all that evil? The devil. Believe me, that's important for you to recognize. The devil is the source of evil. He is the source of fear. That's why Jesus repeatedly says, Fear is useless. Fear. Do you know what fear is? Any type of fear, any type of anxiety, is useless. It doesn't do anybody any good. It harms you. And where does it come from? When you buy something, you look to see the expiration date. Or you look to see where it was made. When you suffer fear, you can label it made in hell. Fear is useless. Jesus says, what is needed is trust. Trust. Jesus, I trust in you. Those words dispel fear. Those words take authority over all the things that are going on in your life. So, does the devil win? That's the bottom line. 
So if the devil causes all that suffering, does he win? Are you kidding me? I mean, it's just a question to make you laugh. The devil has no power. The only time the devil has any power is if Hollywood's making a movie. Then they make the devil look so powerful. But I'll tell you something, even there, and I'm amazed because you know how Hollywood hates God and hates Catholicism. Well, one thing they always get right when they make a movie about the devil, they make the Exorcist 1, the Exorcist 22. What do they always, who do they always put into a movie when they make a movie about the devil? A Catholic priest. They never put a rabbi. They never put a, a, a Baptist minister. They only put Catholic priest wearing the stole and having holy water and the crucifix. And the crucifix. Those are the weapons we use against Satan. I face Satan many times in bringing him out of people. But he's powerless. He can't, he can't decide to stay or go. Because if I proclaim Jesus, he's, he's gone. He's back in hell. And it's the same in your own lives. You have to believe in the power of the cross. You have to believe in the power of his name. That's why reading the word of God daily is so important. All of us have to wake up thinking we're Baptists. And every day read the Bible. That's the answer. Now, besides the Word of God, what do we have that nobody else has? The body and the blood of Christ. And you know, we talked about the book, The Simple Path. At the back of the book, the last chapter, the last pages, it puts together some of the apparitions that have taken place in all the various parts of the world, some of the reflections of the popes on those apparitions, and it also talks about the new and divine, about what is God's plan. Because, see, God hasn't kept a secret from us. He's given us the plan through apparitions. And apparitions that are recognized by the church are beautiful messages for all of us. And the message is, the message of divine mercy, in front of me here, is what? What did Jesus say? This he told Sister Faustina in the diary of Sister of Faustina. This is mankind's last chance that I am giving this message of divine mercy because we are in the end times. E-N-D. This is the end times we're living in. So the question is, well, when is it going to end? Tonight? Tomorrow? No. Jesus said once, only the Father knows. But at the apparitions of Fatima, the Blessed Mother said, before the end of the world, that there will be an army of holy priests, and they will come into the world and bring the world back to Christ. That's why in that Love Crucified community that I'm a part of, our mission is to pray for the holiness of priests, to raise up that army that's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's another 
great sign that will happen. We have had the age of God the Father. What was the age of God the Father? God the Father created this world. The Bible tells us that. That this, that God, that all creation is the work of God the Father. So we are, we have continued to celebrate the universe, the age of God the Father. It's constantly, they're discovering new, new things in the universe. They're not new to God the Father. What's the second period? Who's the second person in the Trinity? The Son. God the Father sent us His only begotten Son to reveal His love and mercy to us. Jesus walked this earth just as much as I'm walking on this platform. So, who, who's missing in the, in the Trinity? The Holy Spirit. Before the end of the world, we will have the age of the Holy Spirit. Remember when you read in the Acts of the Apostles how when Christ ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit came upon us and there was a wave of converts and martyrs for 300 years. The Holy Spirit didn't disappear like a blown out candle. The age of the Holy Spirit hasn't arrived. It's coming. We've had the renewal and it's like a breath of fresh air is what Pope John the 23rd called the 23rd called it. He said, I'm letting in a breath of fresh air, the age of the Holy Spirit. And that age will come. But in this book, now, this is the diary of Sister Faustina. If you have not read this book in its entirety, if you have neglected reading this book you have deprived yourself of the most beautiful messages that Christ has given us in this period of our lives I read this daily I've read it maybe three or four times a lot of people like to play roulette with it they just open and read something no, read it from beginning to end it's a it's, why is it called the diary? It's not the diary of Faustina, although they call it that. Because when Jesus appeared to her, he ordered her to write this. He said, you will be my secretary. And everything that Jesus told her is highlighted in black. Anything that's in black are his exact, precise words to Sister Faustina. And they're words of encouragement for us. They're words of hope. But also in the message, there's a description of hell and purgatory. And there is talk in his messages about the path. The path, the narrow road, he refers it to. Because that is how Jesus spoke about it when he was walking on this earth. He used to tell people, come down the path of the narrow road. Because the path to hell is wide. We see people rushing to hell every day. We have to pray for them, but we have to stay on the path.
And there is only one way you're going to stay on the path. If you are connected to Jesus in the Eucharist. If your heart and his heart become one, your sufferings and his sufferings become one, then you're bound together. You're bound together by love. You're tied to love. If you're connected to evil, then you're bound up in evil. And the devil drags you down and drags you in. This is why it's, I can't stress enough the importance of reading this book. And so I spoke to Marla and she said, if you sign up for these books after, she will order them for all of you who don't already have it. Probably half of you or more have it already. But if not, she'll get it for you. And if she orders a large number, she can get a discount. I want to read to you something that Jesus told Sister Faustina. Internet. 
let me tell you what happened. There was a legionaries. There was a, the legionaries of Christ had a seminary in Thornwood, New York. That's where Father Stephen was for a while. I went to the seminary to visit the seminarians. I know I love them all. I know them all for 35 years. So I went to Thornwood, and I went to the chapel one day. And the Legion has a beautiful system of having young boys who are seniors and graduate, if they'd like to donate one year of their lives to be co-workers. That's the phrase they use, a co-worker. So they had six or eight co-workers sitting at another table every day. They'd go about whatever their work was. Most of their work was talking to other young people, trying to bring them to Christ. One day I walked into the chapel, and there was just myself in the back, and a young co-worker, 19 years old, in the front of the chapel. And interiorly, Jesus said to me, pray for him. So I prayed for him. I didn't know who he was. I didn't know his name or anything about him. I just knew that the only people dressed like that living in the house were co-workers. A few days later, I go in the chapel. Again, only he's there and myself. But this time, the Lord says to me, speak to him. So, I go out of the chapel and I go to his superior because we always have to act in obedience. And so I'm not going to take over unless I have the permission of the superior to speak to him. So I said to the superior, I told him my experience, and the superior laughed and he said, oh, he's doing fine. He said, maybe he's a little upset because he broke up with his girlfriend. I thought, yeah, maybe that's all. I said, just tell him, if he would like to talk to me, I'm available. He said, oh, okay, I'll tell him. He did come to talk to me. I have to make a long story short, or we have to stop for midnight snacks. What happened is I had to bring him to a group that I knew could help me pray over him. That group discerned that he was considering and had already attempted suicide. I said, when I left that group, I said, they're crazy. He's a co-worker. The Legionaries of Christ, he went to Catholic high school. He's not thinking about suicide. He's not. Uh, can't, he's never tried it. So he and I were alone on the way home. And I said, you know, I said, I'm going to level with you. I said, this is what they told me to talk to you about. But I said, I hesitated because I was ashamed to talk to you about this. He couldn't wait to open up to me. He had once attempted suicide, and yes, he was having suicidal thoughts. Again, cutting the story down to basics, we got to the root cause. Remember I told you, don't look at the disorder, go to the root cause. told me this is what happened when he was in the 11th grade. He'd come home from school every day and he'd open up the internet and he was looking at pornography. Well, his mother caught on. And so she did everything. I'm not that astute about all these computers. 
but there is a way of controlling them. So she put all the controls on that he could not get to that site. She didn't even tell him. She just wanted to give him a wake-up call. She said, Father, I came home from school and I ran to the computer and I saw I couldn't get to it. And I got so frustrated that I couldn't open up to the pornography site. And I yelled, Devil, I'll give you my soul. Open up this, open up this computer. He said, Father, it opened up immediately without my touching it. Right to the site of pornography. Did he get scared? No. He went right into the pornography. Because that was his disorder already. I had to find a special priest to hear his confession for him to renounce Satan and go through the whole rigmarole of exorcism. He was on his way to hell through suicide. Do not think the devil is selective. He doesn't want this one over that one. White over black, blue over red. He wants each and every one of us, myself included. That's why we have to pray. We have to be nourished by the Blessed Sacrament, by receiving communion, by confession, and by the Word of God. And living in the power of the cross. Keeping those messages alive in our heart by reading about divine mercy. That's what, that's the shield. You know, they talk about building a shield in the sky so that the North Koreans can't drop a bomb on us. So they want to put up all these shields. Our shield, spiritually shields, is divine mercy. That's our shield. That's our protection. The blessed sacrament, the sacraments, the word of God. Those are our shields that protect us from Satan. The rosary. Well, how could I forget this? the blessed mother and the rosary? I mean, I don't, I don't need to talk to you about the blessed mother. You're all in love with the blessed mother. You're, this is Louisiana. There are more people from Louisiana that go to Medjugorje than any other state. So, but the rosary is a power weapon. It's a shield. So, to continue, what else does Jesus say about divine mercy? Then I have to get to the story of my miracle. This is the story of the promises of the grace of mercy for the dying. It pleases me to grant everything to souls who ask me by, who ask me by saying the chaplet. Did you pass out the little cards that tell people how to say the chaplet? Do they have them? Okay. On that card is the way to say the chaplet. If you don't know how, it tells you how. And Jesus says that I will do everything for people who pray the chaplet. When hardened sinners say it, I will fill their souls with peace. And at the hour of their death, their death will be a happy one. Write this for distressed souls. Who are distressed souls? Distressed souls are souls who see the gravity of their sin. Or they have this idea that they're so horrible that they won't get to heaven. That's a distressed soul. He says, When the whole abyss of the misery into which it is immersed displays itself before its eyes, let it not despair. 
but with trust let it throw itself into the arms of my mercy as a child into the arms of a beloved mother. Do you know how I define trust? Have you ever seen a loving father take his child, a little child, throw the child up in the air? When he throws the child up in the air, the first thing the child does is start laughing and smiling. Why? Because the child knows the father's arms are going to catch her. That's trust. The child trusts in the love of the father. Jesus here says, look at he says, trust as a child in the arms of his father. He always uses things that we can relate to. He doesn't talk above our heads. Tell them that no soul that is called upon my mercy has been disappointed or brought to shame. And I will particularly delight in a soul that has placed my trust in my goodness. Write that when they say this chaplain in the presence of the dying, I will stand. Jesus is telling us that if there's a dying person, he will come into the room and stand there between my father and the dying person. Not as a just judge, but as the merciful Savior. So Jesus is what? He's playing football at that moment. He's saying, I will block the interference of the God of justice from from condemning you. And why can he do that? Because of the power of his death on the cross. He said, if you just say the chaplet once by a dying person. Now, let's take a moment to stand up, take take a seventh inning break, stand up, and then I'm going to get into the story. I need to get a a drink of water here before I finish telling you the story. for another round the final round this by the way is my sweetheart the image of Sister Faustina I have a very unusual connection remember I was telling you earlier about how God sees our suffering and how he makes something good come from it I don't tell this story often because it's so personal. But when I was in 1953, we had so many priests. Some of you are old enough to remember that. Every parish had three, four priests. I and I always from the time I was a child, I was only a child, but yet I remember when my mother took me to Mass, one day I was six or seven and I saw the priest up there and I said, I want to be a priest. And I was convinced that I had a vocation to be a priest. Now, my mother and father weren't, not the way I acted. I'm not kidding you. You know, you know from reading the bulletin that I had known Cardinal Voitua, that I knew him as Pope. I had probably 100 or 150 individual pictures of myself with the Holy Father. 
first to friends and family. Well, one day, my mother was a widow since 1965. One day, some of my parishioners went to visit her. She was living in a senior citizen complex. She just had three simple rooms. And, like all people, they, you know, the husband and wife, they looked around. And they said, my mother's name was Wanda. They said, Wanda. They said, you don't have one picture of your son with the Holy Father. And I had 50 of them on the wall of the rectory. And she said, oh, she said, this is the picture I have of Ronnie. And they looked at it. And they said, but that's when he was two years old. She said, yeah. She said, that's my favorite picture. That was the last time he listened to me. Another time, when I was made a pastor in 1979, right shortly after she came to visit me, and she stayed with me. Now, when I came into that parish, it wasn't like Father Stephen coming here where you're all saying, Oh, hail Caesar. I had people who were very angry with me, who did not like what I was doing sometimes with the changes. So my mother comes to visit me. I didn't hear this story for five years. She comes to visit me, and a few of these very unhappy parishioners think they're going to get to me through my mother, from Jesus through Mary. So they get her cornered, and they start complaining about me, telling her, you know, all the things that maybe she should straighten out. And she listens very patiently. One of them, five years later, told me the story. I wouldn't, my mother would never tell me. And when they got finished, she went like this. She says, you don't know? And they all thought they were going to hear some great secret. And they said, what, Wanda? You don't know? My son fell off his high chair when he's five years old. That was the end of the discussion. She knew how to be a diplomat. Just tell them I'm crazy and they got to live with me. So, in talk about getting sidetracked. You think there was a train coming through. So, to get to the bottom line, in 19... Oh, by the way, here's some good news for you. In 19... My mother was 40 years old. The first doctor told her she was going to die. Between 1940 and 1985, three doctors told her she was going to die for different, all different reasons. They all died before her. <laughs> the doctor that I found said to me, she's not getting me. <laughs> and thank God she didn't. So anyway, in 19, I'm the only child, in 1992, she's diagnosed with Alzheimer's. I didn't even know how to spell it. Did I know what it really was? Absolutely not. How many of us knew about Alzheimer's in 1992? It wasn't really a discussion, disease. But I could see the changes in her. And so they wouldn't keep her in the senior citizen's house. So mom, I had to decide what to do. Now she was still very alert and walked and talked. And she knew my situation. And I took her to this beautiful place run by the nuns. And I wanted to put her there. She says, Ronnie, please don't put me anywhere in any home. And I'm a rectory living by myself. It was a convent that had been abandoned and made into a rectory. There certainly was room, but I had no help. 
So I didn't say yes, I didn't say no. I got in my car and I drove 70 miles outside of Buffalo, New York to the Trappist Monastery. I said, God, you have to speak to me through a Trappist monk in confession. So I went to confession and the Trappist monk said to me, if you can take your mother, take your mother. I went out of there rejoicing. I felt so great. In fact, the first day I got home, I called up a friend and I said, I feel wonderful. I got such great news. I said, the Trappist monk told me to take my mother. I feel it's coming from God. My friend on the other end said, Huh, all he has to do is get up and bake bread. You're going to find out what a job it is taking care of your mother. That person was right. It became a horrific job. I did get help. As her stages got worse, it was so pathetic. But every day, I had Mass in the rectory because we had a small chapel and the parishioners would come to the chapel. So every day I'd say Mass, then I would save a little tiny piece of the host to bring my mother communion. And the aid, and all the aides I had were non-Catholic. They were mostly black Baptist. And the aide would have the water ready and i put the little piece of host on her tongue and the aide would take the water and say, okay, swallow Wanda, swallow Wanda. And they'd struggle sometimes to get the host down. So I thought, wow, after a few weeks of that, where she couldn't talk anymore, and I said, she, can I keep giving her the communion? Does she know what, what it is? I said, I'll have to call the chancery because I don't know the answer. So, I'm alone in the parish. I'm always busy. I never get to call. But three weeks into not calling, I'm still giving her communion. And so the one day I come up to her and I say, Mother, this is the body of Christ. Ronnie, I know it. The eight screamed. She talks. She said she knows it. That was all she said. I knew that was God speaking to me. Ronnie, I know it. And she knew it. She knew Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. Because she was going to Mass every day. She knew Jesus because she loved the Eucharist. Well, her disease continued. But in 1992, I was lucky enough, fortunate enough to get a break to go to Rome for the beatification of Sister Faustina. When the Pope had the miracle to prove that she was could be beatified. There's two steps. First is the beatification. And that took place, I think, in 1993. And then the, her, she was proclaimed a saint in the year 2000. So I was there. Now, because of my Polish connection to Krakow, knowing priests from Poland, knowing Cardinal Wojtyla, the head of the secretary of the Congregation of Saints, who was proclaiming her a saint, when he was a young priest in 1963 or 2 he actually came to Buffalo at my invitation and my mother would cook him some beautiful meals so he remembered her so when I told him that she was suffering this, he gave me on the day of her beatification he gave me a piece of bone in this reliquary and it was on a little stand that it would just stand up like that. And he said, here, take that back for your mother. So I took it back home 
And I placed it. She was in a small little room. It had been a nun's room. And I placed it on her dressing room table. And I said, Sister Faustina, I said, you are going to be her night nurse. I'll take care of her the day. You take care of her at night. That was the deal I worked out. I also had a contract with Jesus. Because when that monk told me what I should do, I came back. I said, Jesus, I heard you speaking. So I'm giving you a couple of conditions to the deal. I said, first, let me have the health to take care of her. Secondly, don't let me die before her. Because that would be horrible. She'd just be thrown anywhere. I said, that is what the conditions are. Let me have the health and let me not die before her. I've never, that was 1992, never had a day of sickness. Never a moment when I couldn't take care of her. Even sometimes I had to get up in the night. And as far as not dying, she died in 2002. This is 2019 and he's still leaving me around. I didn't ask for that long a time. So, every night, now, the doctor used to say, he used to be amazed at how she wasn't dying. And I thought, I said, you know what? Maybe it's because I haven't given her the last rites. Now I'm going backwards because she still could talk at this time. And so I said, I'll wait till she falls asleep. And then I'll go in the room and give her the last rites. Because she was a good sleeper. So I went in. Put the oils on. In fact, these these are the holy oils. I put them on her forehead, her hands and everything. And I read the prayers very quietly. And as I got through, just as I was through, finished all the prayers, she opens up one eye. She looks at me and she says, Wow, Ronnie, you really want to get rid of me, don't you? I go, Oh no, Mother. I said, I'm just praying. She was a fox. It was a, it's a, I mean, God would do things like that just to keep me alert. So now came the time when she really was dying. It was nine days, like a novena, of total agony for me because I kept her at home and all from morning till night, all she could do is go, (gasps) because they die of starvation. They can't eat, they can't breathe. It's a very horrible suffering. So, every day, this is going on. And even the doctor said he wasn't certain she was going to die. Beautiful friends of mine would come and spend the night in her room. And I would give them the Blessed Sacrament so they could pray and have adoration and say the rosary. And I'd go to sleep to get some sleep. Because in the morning I had to be up for Mass. Well, on the day, April 18th, that she did die, not that I knew she would. That morning, I still went up to give her communion. And the aide was there, and I held up the host. I said, Mother, the body of Christ. She, she had been going, <gasps> but when I said the body of Christ, she went like this. And the aide said, she stuck out her tongue. And I just shook my head. I said, she probably was yawning. She stuck out her tongue. I I was like a doubting Thomas, but I gave her the host. And then she continued to go, huh? <gasps> that afternoon, now, this sounds crazy to you, I know. But I didn't know as much about divine mercy 
and they would talk about seeing them at the bedside. So I just thought, Mother, they're coming for you. And I said, kiss me goodbye. She lifted her head from the bed. This is, a, this is not, this is not even imaginable for a person dying of Alzheimer's that they're going to respond when you say, kiss me goodbye. She lifted her head. She smiled at me. She gave me a kiss. Put her head back, smiling, and she goes, Ruby said, is she gone? I said, yes. I, I left the room. I mean, I was in a state of ecstasy from what I experienced, but a state of, of just not even being able to understand what took place. To come to the end of the story when I start learning more about divine mercy I said of course Sister Faustina was there Jesus kept the promise I will be present at a dying person now why this big miracle because God knew that I would go around the world. I told this story around the world. God knew I'd go around the world telling this story for two reasons. To take away everybody's fear of death and to give you the importance of saying the chaplain every day. And especially at a dying person's bedside. They don't have to say it. You have to say it. They don't have to be they could be the greatest sinner, Jesus tells us, as long as you say it for them. Think about that. The gift that God has given us in divine mercy. You know, then after she died, she had a beautiful funeral. After she died, every time April 18th used to come around, I used to wonder, why did she die on April 18th? And I looked at the saints' books. There was nothing that took place on April 18th. But always in my mind, I kept thinking, there has to be a reason. And one day, I was talking to a nun in Miami. And she knew the story because I told her the story of the relic of my mother. And I said, you know, sister, I said, I've always thought that there might have been some connection. I said, no, I said, I, I didn't say a connection. I said, I always wondered why she died on April 18th. I always feel that there was a reason and I can't figure it out. The nun looked at me and she said, Father, you are kidding me, aren't you? I said, no, I'm not kidding you. I don't know. She said, Father, I was in Rome with you April 18th during the beatification. That was the day Archbishop Novak gave you the relic, the day of her beatification, April 18th. This relic has helped many people to get well mentally emotionally every way. So what we'll do after we conclude, and I'm finally going to conclude, don't you think it's time? You will have an opportunity. Where is the deacon? He's going to hold the relic up. You can kiss it or touch it to your head if you're crazy like me. Or to your heart if you've got heart troubles. So let's conclude. Father is supposed to come and give you a blessing, but I guess I can give it to you anytime. Uh, everybody kneel down and I'll give you a blessing. And I want you all to say the Our Father and the Hail Mary for the Holy Father.
father that will tell you either in person or in the bulletin how you can gain a plenary indulgence for having attended this mission. Almighty God, we thank you for the graces that you've poured upon these beautiful people of the Holy Family Parish and its surrounding areas. We ask you, Lord, to grant them many, many graces and healings, not only this week, but in days to come. And if some of you, I'm putting my email in the bulletin, if you have an experience of some kind of spiritual healing, please write me and let me know, and we can collect all of the witnesses and testimonies, and we can give glory to God by putting them together. If you want to sign your name, you can. If you want your name off, you just sign it, friend of the parish, or whatever way. Heavenly Father, give them peace in their lives. Protect all their children and their families under the protection of the precious blood. Let your blood fall upon them. Let the power of your love open up their hearts and flood it with divine mercy. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'll go out and say goodbye to you, and Father is hearing confessions, and the deacon will be here uh, to give to let you venerate the relic.